industry. Uncover vital info about your potential competition. See whether there is a market for your proposed business and generally plot your course. Here are the best bets. Trade associations. Every industry has a trade association connected to it, and these groups have a wealth of information. Find one associated with your idea and contact them. Explain what you are doing and ask about survey data and research reports available. Get copies of their publications. Ask whether they have a startup resource kit available. Many do. Trade shows. Consider attending the leading association trade show, which will put you in touch with hundreds of like-minded individuals, people who are already successfully doing what you want to do. Meeting them and picking their brains can save you a lot of time. Tell exactly who your customers will be. Provide experienced feedback about your plans. Let you know how much it should cost to start your business. Give you a fairly accurate idea about how much you can expect to make. Warn you of potential pitfalls and save you from overly optimistic plans. Trade magazines. Each industry usually has one or more trade magazines that may or may not be part of the leading trade association. Find the magazine for your industry and get several back copies. You should be able to notice industry trends, mistakes to avoid, potential costs, and much more. Websites. Aside from the websites mentioned previously, here are a few more that specifically may be helpful for this stage of your entrepreneurial journey. www.entrepreneur.com slash formnet. This site offers free forms that help you analyze your plans. www.census.gov. The U.S. Census Bureau site has a lot of free demographic data www.uschamber.com Both the National Chamber of Commerce and your own local Chamber of Commerce have plenty of resources for this new startup. www.tsnn.com This is a searchable database for trade shows worldwide. www.sba.gov sbdc The SBA Small Business Developmental Center offer low-cost help to entrepreneurs. As mentioned previously, www.score.org also is a valuable research resource. www.inside.com, the home of American Demographics, a monthly magazine that offers information on consumer trends and analysis. This is a pay service. www.hoovers.com, Hoover's offers business and industry data, as well as sales, marketing, business development, and other information on public and private companies. This is also a free-for content site. www.marketresearch.com This site offers more than 50,000 market research articles from more than 350 publishers, categorized by industry. Interviews and Experiential Research while reading is great, nothing beats actually talking with people associated with your potential business. There are two groups of people you need to meet and interview. One, potential customers. Although finding possible customers for your potential business is not the easiest task in the world, it must be done. You need to find and meet people who would be willing to pay for the product or service you want to provide. Find out what they like and dislike about their present vendor, why they might change, what would cause them to change, lower prices, a better location, more personal service, or what. Looking to find and interview potential customers? Consider going to the place of some competition and parking yourself unobtrusively outside. Have a short questionnaire ready and ask people for five minutes of their time. 2. The Competition no one knows your potential business better than people who are already running a similar business. Become their customer and shop at their store or use their service. Analyze their strengths, weaknesses, profit potential, and so on. Hire some inexpensive experts. Find a good MBA program in your area and find out whether it participates in the Small Business Institute program run by 250 MBA programs nationwide that assigns grad students to intern-type projects like the market research. 
For a nominal fee, you're free. You may get a great team to do some quality research for you. For more information, contact the Small Business Advancement National Center at 501-450-5300. Libraries. Of course, librarians are the keepers of the research key and can show you where to find plenty of free information. That is a given. But here is something extra. The Internet Plus Directory of Express Library Services, Research and Document Delivery for Hire by editors Steve Kaufman, Cindy Kehoe, and Pat Wiedensoller lists 500 libraries nationwide that provide low-cost research services that you can tap into. Create an online focus group. How do Fortune 500 companies and presidential candidates know what commercials to use, products to pitch, or ideas to share? They use focus groups, a group of people who are shown a product or given an idea and asked to comment upon it. Find a listserv discussion group for your industry. Subscribe to the list, learn about the group, and then ask your questions. Look for a listserv list at http tile.net slash lists slash dot. Telemarketing and phone research. Telephone research is a fairly inexpensive method costing about one-third less than the personal interviews. Here you would hire a telemarketing firm to conduct a survey of a random sample of respondents. The costs associated with this method include the fee of the telemarketer, phone charges, preparation for the questionnaire, and the analysis of the results. Here are some tips when using this technique. Tell the interviewee up front how important his or her response is and that it will be a short interview between 5 and 10 minutes. Avoid pauses as respondent interest drops. Keep the questions short and interesting. Make the answer options consistent. If you get more than 250 interviews, you are nearing a good sample. Direct mail. Direct mail questionnaires are also inexpensive when you are using bulk mail prices, but the response rates are usually less than 5%. The main costs of this method relate to printing the cover letter and questionnaire, envelopes and postage. To increase your response rate, try these ideas. Include a nice letter that explains what you are looking for and why. Keep your questions short. Limit the length of the questionnaire to two pages. Address the letter to a person not occupant. Address the letters by hand. Tiring, yes, but also effective. Include a self-addressed stamped envelope. Putting it all together. After conducting all of this research, sit down, sift through it, and analyze the data. You need to get a clear idea about the strengths and weaknesses of your plan. Either you will conclude that there indeed is a market for your proposed business, or there is not. If not, then go back to the drawing board. Either way, when you start your business, you will have a much better idea about what it will take to succeed, whom you are going to be selling to, and what they want. Chapter 5. Calculating Your Startup Costs Nothing splendid has ever been achieved except by those who dared believe that something inside them was superior to circumstance. This was a quote by Bruce Barton. Now we get down to the nitty-gritty. Having come up with an idea that works for you, financially, creatively, emotionally, intellectually, the next step is to figure out what it will actually cost to start that business and what sort of sales you will need to achieve to sustain it. Assumptions. Figuring out your startup costs and potential sales is a matter of making educated assumptions. In the preceding chapter, it was suggested that you do a lot of research, much of which should come in handy here. What will it cost to start a business like the one you want? The numbers your input here will help you figure out how much money you need and can make and will equally apply to the business plan you need to write, as explained in the next chapter. Starting a business from scratch, you will incur many expenses, some of which will not be encountered again, incorporating security deposits, that sort of thing. Others are ongoing, creating marketing materials, rent, and so on. Calculating these costs is a four-step process. The first three steps help you understand how much money 
you will need for initial startup costs, purchasing assets, and for monthly expenses. Step 4 helps you understand your potential sales and how much money you will need to break even and to earn a profit. As you calculate these expenses, a word of caution is in order. Be conservative, both with your analysis and when it actually comes time to purchase these things. Cash is the lifeblood of any business, but especially a new business. And with a new business, there won't be the sales or experience to create a steady cash flow to replace what you will be spending. Don't blow it. Don't spend too much. Buy used. Buy off eBay. Hoard your precious, precious capital. Step 1. Calculating Startup Expenses Put a realistic dollar figure next to each category. 1. Creating your legal structure. Sole proprietorship, partnership, LLC or corporation. In dollars. 2. Accountant. Dollars. 3. Building out the space, decorating and remodeling. In dollars. Licenses and permits from the city or county. Stationery and logos. Marketing and sales materials. First month's rent and security deposit. Insurance. Telephone and utility deposits. Signs. Internet and website. And other expenses. And calculate the total. Step 2. Purchasing assets. What sort of assets will you need to open the doors? 1. Real estate. 2. Furniture and fixtures. 3. Equipment and machinery. 4. Trucks and autos. 5. Inventory. 6. Supplies. 7. Other. And what is that total in dollars? Step 3. Ongoing monthly expenses. Keep adding. And yes, those numbers can be daunting. But the fact is, starting a business is usually a fairly expensive proposition. That is why being smart and frugal is so important. In this section, calculate what it is going to cost you to run your business in a typical month. 1. Rent. 2. Utilities. 3. The payroll. 4. The owner's draw. 5. Supplies. 6. Insurance. 7. Transportation. 8. Shipping. 9. Legal and accounting. 10. Advertising and marketing. 11. Inventory. 12. Production and distribution. 13. Taxes. 14. Debt repayment. 15. Working capital. 16. Other. And that total is... Now, multiply this last total by 6. This will tell you how much money you will need to run the business for 6 months. Then add it to the totals in steps 1 and 2, and this will tell you how much money you need to open the doors and stay in business for 6 months. Ideally, having 6 months working capital in the bank before you start is a minimum. Here's an example. Perry's Pizza Parlor. Step 1. Total startup expenses, $22,000. Step 2. The assets to be purchased were $15,000. And step three, the ongoing monthly expenses, $10,000. Multiply the monthly expense figure by six, and even that is optimistic as it like will be more than six months before revenues will be consistent. Add up to $60,000. Adding $22,000 and $15,000 to that, we see that Perry's Pizza should ideally have $97,000 to get up and running. Note that I said ideally. Not all businesses will have six months' worth of working capital in the bank before they open the doors. Oh, well, life is not always ideal. And if you will have less than that, it is still possible to make a go of it. It will just be more difficult. But be forewarned. Starting a new business is challenging enough. Having a cash crunch from the get-go makes it much harder. The six-month figure is intended to give you enough of a cushion to get started, open the doors, create some sales, and move forward. So now the question is, how much pizza will Perry's need to sell to make a profit? Step 4. Calculate monthly sales. Your previous research will tell you that how much you can expect to make in this business. The preceding numbers, especially the ongoing monthly expense figure, gives you a break-even threshold of sales that you will need to achieve. Perry's Pizza, for example, must gross at least $10,000 a month to break even. 
That's $333.33 a day. If an average pizza dinner is, say, $30 a table, then Perry must serve at least 11 tables a day to break even, and anything above that will be profit. While 11 tables a day seems eminently doable, it will likely take a while for the restaurant to achieve that. Building a name and reputation take time. It is far more difficult and expensive to create a new customer than to keep an existing one. And the problem is that new businesses have no existing customers, so all customers will take effort. With enough money in the bank before you start, you will have the time necessary to build and grow your startup. Given that, it is reasonable to assume that it will take at least six months before Perry's or any other business is making a consistent profit. Finding the money. In our example, Perry's Pizza should have about $100,000 in the bank before the doors open. Where will Perry find that kind of money? Where will you find that kind of money? Chapter 6, Writing a Winning Business Plan, explains how to write a business plan that can get you funded. And Chapter 8, The Money Hunt, shows you where to shop that plan. Chapter 6, Writing a Winning Business Plan. Setting a goal is not the main thing. It is deciding how you will go about achieving it and staying with that plan. This is a quote by Tom Landry. Having decided upon a business that seems right, the next step is significant. Draft a business plan. All the research that you did up until this point will now be needed. Maybe you think that you do not want or need a business plan. That is understandable because writing a business plan is a lot of work. In it, you analyze what you are going to do and how you would do it. You crunch the numbers and dissect the competition. You scrutinize risk and ponder reward. It takes a lot of thought and research. So even though business plans are work, and you may in fact be the only person who ever reads yours, if you are going to create a great small business, one that exemplifies your values and earns a fine profit, then writing a business plan is vital. The Roadmap a pilot would never fly from Seattle to Miami without a detailed, well-researched flight plan which helps him figure out how he will get where he wants to go. It tells him how much fuel he will need, important landmarks to look for, and how long it will take to get there. It is his blueprint for a successful trip. Your business plan is your version of the flight plan, your blueprint for a successful trip. Creating a business plan forces you to carefully think through your proposed business. It will detail how much money you need to get started and stay aloft. Writing it will sharpen your marketing ideas, help you understand projected cost and sales, help you understand the competition, and much more. By analyzing your business, both the things you know well and some you do not, creating a business plan forces you to really figure out what you are getting into and what it will take to succeed. It is your roadmap for a prosperous, rewarding journey. Creating and using a business plan also helps you to avoid pie-in-the-sky projections, allows an investor or lender to analyze whether your proposed business is worth their investment dollars, it helps you to identify your market and competition, and allows you to understand your business better. Because the plan projects where the company expects to be for the next few years and how it plans to get there, a business plan also serves an important tool for established businesses. It lets them know whether they are on or off course. Smart businesses create, use, and revise business plans as necessary. There are two major downsides to not having a business plan. First, without one, your enterprise will be a gamble. It may succeed or it may fail. Who knows? Certainly not you without one. So a well-researched business plan reduces the risk of failure. Second, without a plan, you will never attract an investor. If you require outside funding to get your business started, your investor will want to see your business plan. Therefore, whether it is a bank, the SBA, an angel investor, your Uncle Larry, or a venture capital firm, a business plan is a prerequisite for getting funded. Business Plan Elements so just what exactly is in a business plan? The appendix contains a complete business plan in full. Generally speaking, here is what you will find in a typical business plan, though not necessarily in this exact order. A title page. 
On the title page should be the name of the business, your logo if you have one, the owner's name, the business address and phone number, email addresses, and the business website if you have one. Executive Summary The Executive Summary is probably the single most important part of your business plan. It presents the greatest hits of the plan and is vital because it is what investors key in on. If they like the Executive Summary, they will read more. But if they do not, all your hard work will be for naught. If you do not quickly capture the reader's attention with a dynamic executive summary, you blew it. Even though your entire business will be described in detail later in the plan, a crisp three- or four-page introduction captures the immediate attention of the potential investor or lender. It should explain what your business is, whom your market is, what is different about your business, why this is a good time for this venture, and why this is a unique opportunity. In addition, the amount of money being sought should be addressed. Because the executive summary is so important, considering writing it last, after you've thought through the whole entire plan. Contents. Next comes a table of contents that lists the section titles and page numbers. Business Description. Here you describe exactly what your business is going to be and how you see it growing. This section includes a description of the products or services you will be selling, your market niche, and so on. Explain why what you will be offering is different from other options on the market. Show that the market you are going to tap is large and hopefully growing. If yours is a local small business, say a pizza restaurant, then explain why there's a demand for this type of restaurant in, say, a, a 10-square-mile radius. If yours will be a national business or an Internet business, then explain national needs for your services. Therefore, define accurately the target market for your business. In the case of our pizza restaurant, there may be 20,000 people in the area who would be willing to go to this type of restaurant. This is called its feasible market. You must then determine what your share of that feasible market will be. This is called your market share. You will also explain what legal form your business will take. Sole proprietorship, partnership, LLC, or corporation. Make the business plan yours. Write it in your voice with your passion. Experts can smell a prepackaged, ghost-written business plan a mile away. Management. It is hard to underestimate just how important your management team is to potential investors. Banks and other lenders take seriously the background and experience of the team you have assembled. Obviously, if yours is going to be a solo small business, then document your own skills and abilities for this type of business. But if you will need others to help you run the business, you better have a good team in place. And if not put the team together yet, now is the time to do so. What sort of team, you ask? Maybe you need a director of marketing, an attorney, an accountant, a director of operations, and or a director of sales. It also depends on the sort of business you have in mind and what is needed to carry out your vision. But whatever it is, the important thing is to create a team of qualified people who can impress the brass. List your team, their backgrounds, and what their responsibilities will be. Industry Description This section is where all of your background research done to date, analyzing your ideas and so forth, can be inserted. The information you received from trade associations and magazines, websites and books, and interviews and meetings can be used here. Discuss macroeconomic trends and other relevant economic indicators. You do not have to draft a business plan from scratch, and it may not even be a good idea to do so. The business plan in the appendix provided courtesy of Palo Alto Software Business Plan Pro, for example, is a very good and very easy program to use. But even if you do use a computer program, be sure to use your own language and make the plan yours as you write it. Competition. Include all pertinent information about your competition, including the length of time they've been in business, where they're located, and their average annual sales. How will you beat the competition? Will you offer a better location, greater convenience, better prices, later hours, better quality, better service, or what? Analyze what they do right and wrong, how customer needs are and are not being met by your competitors, how will you lure their customers away. Marketing strategy. How will you position your goods or services in the market? Are you going to cater to an upscale clientele, other businesses, or whom? What will your pricing strategy be? How will you promote your business? 
What sort of advertising and marketing do you propose? These are the sort of questions you must answer. Also, if you have contacts or contracts already with clients, mention them here as well. Sales forecast. When making a business plan, avoid out-of-the-blue numbers and make no mistake about it, you will be tempted to throw in some unrealistic numbers. Why? Because one reason for creating a business plan is to get funding, and one way to get funding is to show your potential for explosive growth. So you may be tempted to crack up the numbers, but it is a mistake to do so for two reasons. First, sophisticated investors and lenders can see through foreign numbers, exposing you as a novice, and novices with bad numbers do not get funded. Second, even if your business plan is for your eyes only, inflated numbers can only lead to unrealistic expectations, which lead to business failure when you run out of money before you thought you would. So, you have been warned, it is much wiser to deal in reality, especially when making assumptions about your sales. Figure about how much you can expect to sell in the next few years. Even though you'll be making some assumptions when doing so, err on the side of caution. Be conservative. If you sell more, great. If not, at least your plan served its purpose and warned you. Your honest sales forecast will contain monthly forecast for the coming year, both in dollars and in units sold, annual forecast for the following two to four years, both in dollars and units sold, and the assumptions upon which you base your forecast. Where do you get this information? Time for more research? Analyze potential competitors. Consider their sales, traffic patterns, hours of operation, busy periods, prices, quality of their goods and services, and so forth. If possible, Talk to customers and sales staff. Estimate as specifically as possible what they make in a given month. Your sales forecast can be based on average monthly sales of a similar-sized business operating in a similar market. Second, tap your trade associations and magazines to get an idea about what a typical business in your new industry can expect to make. Estimate your sales, but estimate conservatively. Yours is not an established business, but a new startup. It is highly unlikely that your sales will be as robust as an established competitor for at least a few years. Finally, include your sales strategy, sales objectives, target customers, sales tools, sales support, distribution plan, direct-to-public, wholesale, retail, and pricing structure, markups, margins, break-even point. Financial Analysis Use your previous analyses to explain how much it will cost to get your business up and running and how much it will cost to keep it going. Explain how much money you are asking for and how it will be spent. The basis of this section are several financial spreadsheets, balance sheets, profit and loss statements, and cash flow projections. Here again you will be making financial assumptions which can make or break your business. If you do not understand financial planning, you need either to learn it or to hire a professional to help you. It is that important. This financial assistance is often the most difficult part of a business plan for small business people. It is easy to wax poetic about your great idea and how it will make the gang rich. But actually, putting real numbers to those projections is hard work. Even so, you have to do it. Crunch some realistic numbers to go along with your realistic plan. Computer programs can be of great assistance when it comes time to analyze your business finances. Microsoft's accounting software, as well as Intuit's QuickBooks, are good places to start. Start with an income and expense statement. It's what it sounds like, a projection of income and expenses. It includes an opening balance sheet, detailed income projections, operating expenses, and a financial forecast for the next year of operation and for the following two years. It also includes a cash flow forecast of inflow and outflow on a monthly basis for the next year. Where do you get this information? The usual suspects, competitors, suppliers, trade associations, chambers of commerce, websites and trade publications. Next, you will need to include a profit and loss statement. This is a summary of your projected business transactions over a period of time. It explains the difference between your income and expenses. Café Café. 
Projected profit and loss statement. Projected income fiscal year one, $187,900. The projected expenses, the cost of goods sold were $76,300. The labor was $33,700. Bank fees, $250. Equipment, $4,900. Insurance, $2,800. Marketing, $6,200. Postage and FedEx, $1,200, phone $2,400, printing $1,900, supplies $7,200, taxes $6,800, projected total expenses $143,650, the projected net profit $44,250. A profit and loss statement is also known as a P&L statement or an income statement. The balance sheet of the business is a snapshot of the venture on a given date. It should include a projection of assets and liabilities. The cash flow statement shows how much cash your business will need and when and where it will come from. For example, how much inventory will be required and what will cost every month. The cash flow statement is important because it forces you to realistically look at the bottom line and see if you're going to make enough money, that is, enough cash flow, to handle your debts. The financial section of your business plan will also analyze the use of any loan proceeds you are seeking, including the amount of the loan and the term. Finally, disclose your financial situation and how much you will personally be contributing to the venture. Exit Strategy Conclude with your proposed exit strategy, which may be a sale of the business or eventual retirement. Appendix. This section will contain substantial documentation and articles of interest, names and contact information of your references, name of present bank, name of your lawyer and accountant, personal net worth of statement, letters of intent, possible orders, letters of support, and insurance coverage, policies, type, and amount of coverage. The bottom line. Writing is rewriting. Your business plan is no different, so write it and rewrite it. It is a healthy process that will enable you to have a much better understanding of your business, what it will take to succeed, and what risks to expect. Although it will be a lot of work, it should be worth it. Either you'll get funded, or at a minimum you'll have learned a great deal about how to make a business fly. Either way, you win. <laughs> Chapter 7. Structuring Your Business The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. That's a, that's a quote from William Shakespeare. As you begin to put the foundation for your small business in place, you need to quickly decide the legal form your business will take. You have four options. It can be a sole proprietorship, a partnership, a limited liability, LLC, or some type of corporation. This chapter should help you make that important decision. However, as each business form has a different legal and financial ramifications, and although you can theoretically make a choice based on your supposition about what it is right for your business, it is best to do so in conjunction with your lawyer and accountant. Sole Proprietorship A sole proprietorship is the cheapest and easiest form of business you can start. All you need to do is name the business, get a business license from your city or county, publish a fictitious business name statement in a local newspaper, opening a checking account, open your doors, and you are, quite literally, in business. It should cost about $100 to start a sole proprietorship. According to the Small Business Administration, roughly 17 million of the 23 million small businesses in the United States are sole proprietorships. While the good news about sole proprietorships is that they are inexpensive and easy to create, the bad news is not insignificant. The main problem is that, legally speaking, you and the business are one and the same. If something goes wrong down the shop, you're personally on the book. Say, for instance, that you open a pizza parlor as a sole proprietor, and then one day one of your delivery boys is drunk and kills a pedestrian while the boy is attempting to deliver a pizza. Because he was drunk your insurance will not cover him. Because he worked for you and was trying to perform a work-related duty, your business will be liable for his actions. 
and because your business is a sole proprietorship, you personally and your personal assets, car, home, retirement, and so on, could be tapped to pay the damages from the resulting lawsuit. Obviously, therefore, starting a business as a sole proprietor is probably not a good idea, legally speaking. Aside from putting yourself in legal and financial jeopardy by starting your business as a sole proprietorship, another problem with this form of business is that it often means you will be working alone. It is not called a sole proprietorship for nothing. You will have no partners around to work or bounce ideas off. Maybe a partnership is the way to go, then, you say. Let's see. Partnerships and limited partnerships. A business partnership is a lot like a marriage because you'll be spending an inordinate amount of time together, making decisions together, making individual decisions that will affect the whole, and being together in both good times and bad. Think very carefully about whether you really want a partner, and if so, who fits the bill. General Partnerships Legally speaking, a general partnership is even more precarious than a sole proprietorship, if that is possible. Why? Because not only are the partners individually liable for the business debts, just as the sole proprietor is, but either partner can get the whole partnership into debt. When that happens, both partners are legally liable for the debt. So the danger is that your partner can make some dumb decision, sign a bad contract or some such thing, get the partnership into debt, and you'll be personally responsible for that debt. Another thing to consider is the emotional aspect of having a partner. Do you want one? Can you share the power? One nice thing about being a sole proprietor is that you alone are the boss. You have no one to answer to except yourself. But having a partner means, well, you'll have a partner. You'll need to listen to your partner, respect her, defer to her judgment when necessary, and be willing to share responsibility for all decisions and actions. And remember, partnerships do not always work out. Best friends who become partners do not always stay friends. Conversely, though, there is plenty to be said for having a partner. The first benefit is significant. Namely, a partner gives you someone to work with, to share ideas and brainstorm with, to bounce ideas off. Also, a partner shares the workload. One bad thing about working alone is there are too many hats to wear. CEO, head of sales, marketing director, and too often receptionist and secretary. Partners help alleviate that. Finally, a business partner is someone who should share the financial commitments of the business, and that should be a relief. So consider carefully those pros and cons of having a partner, and then, if you decide that the benefits outweigh the burdens, find someone with whom you can work well. Even if you get along swimmingly, be sure to check out your potential partner's background, credit history, and so on. Get some references and call. This is a very important decision, so act accordingly. Finally, if you do decide to go to the partnership route, you are strongly advised to get a partnership agreement, preferably drafted by an attorney. This agreement should spell out who contributed what, who will do what, and if the partnership ends, who will get what. It is really a very important document. If you have someone in mind for a partner, it is a good idea to start out working on a project or two together first. See if your styles are complementary and whether you have more fun than issues. After all, one reason you start your own business is to enjoy your, your work more, and your potential partner should add to that. Limited partnerships. Whereas in a general partnership, all partners are equal. Each can incur obligations on behalf of the partnership, and each has unlimited liability for the debts of that partnership. In a limited partnership, things are different. Usually there is only one person running the show the general partner. The other partners are called limited partners who also have limited liability and limited input. They cannot incur obligations on behalf of the partnership and do not participate in its daily operations. A limited partner is essentially a passive investor. A limited partner's liability is limited to the amount of his or her financial contribution to the partnership, while the general partner has unlimited liability to go along with his power. This structure allows the general partner the freedom to run the business unfettered and gives the limited partners limited liability. If things go wrong, 
Another key benefit of the limited partnership, aside from the diminished liability of the limited partners and freedom of the general partner, is that it pays no income tax. Income and losses are attributed proportionally to each partner and accounted for on their individual tax returns. A limited partnership is often the structure of choice for real estate and stock investment groups. Corporations and Limited Liability Companies, LLCs As you know, the problem with general partnerships and sole proprietorships is the personal liability of the company's business debts and other liabilities. These entities do not shield you from legal responsibility. Not so for corporate entities. In fact, one of the main reasons to incorporate is to legally shield your personal assets from business debts. Consider our pizza parlor fiasco. If you had incorporated and one of your drivers had negligently killed someone, it would have been the business assets at risk. While still unpleasant, it sure beats having your personal assets at risk. Creditors are limited to the assets of the corporation only for payment and may not collect directly from the shareholders. Pros and cons of incorporating. Pros. The corporate shield protects you from legal responsibility and personal liability. Corporations are theoretically infinite. They can last in perpetuity. Sole proprietorships and partnerships usually end upon death, retirement, disability, or bankruptcy of the sole proprietor or partner. As the corporation grows, owners can continue to share in the profit as shareholders, but do not have to stay and run the business. This is not normally true for sole proprietorships and partnerships. You may be taken more seriously if your business has an ink behind the name. There are many tax advantages to having a corporation, as well as pension and profit-sharing options. Cons. Creating a corporation is not inexpensive. Shareholders have little say in day-to-day -day operations. Corporations are subject to greater government regulation and scrutiny. The tax code, as it relates to corporations, is complex, not easy to understand, and will likely require the yearly assistance of a lawyer or an accountant. S and C Corporations There are several types of corporations. The main types are the S Corporation and C Corporation. S and C are subsections of the IRS code. While there are two several differences between the S and C Corporations, there are two main ones. The first one is that the C Corporation are taxed twice, once when profits are realized and a second time when those profits are passed on to the shareholders. The advantage of the S Corporation is it does not pay a corporate tax at all. Instead, its shareholders report profits and losses on their personal tax returns, and therefore, profits are taxed only once. Another difference between the two has to do with size. For the most part, C Corporations are large, publicly traded businesses. When you see a business whose shares are bought and sold on the New York Stock Exchange, that is a C Corporation. In fact, the ability to freely sell shares is one of the main advantages of a C corporation. People who start businesses with an exit strategy of going public start C corporations. While most large businesses are C corporations, most small businesses choose this form as a structure as well for one of very good reason. C corporations can conduct 100% of the health insurance costs for its employees, including you. The double taxation whammy of the C Corporation pushes many small business owners toward S Corporations, which are, generally speaking, intended for and used by smaller businesses. There are certainly more pros and cons to starting your small businesses as an S Corporation. S Corporation offers limited personal liability. S Corporations pay no corporate taxes. Again, profits and losses flow through to your individual tax return. A sole owner of an S corporation does not have to pay the FICA tax, Medicare and the self-employment tax, which are roughly 15% on the first $75,000 you earn. The bad news is there are, are restrictions on the S corporations. You ha can have no more than 75 shareholders, and you cannot have any preferred stock. Whether to incorporate as an S corporation or a C corporation is something you should decide in conjunction with your attorney. Another sort of corporation is called the professional corporation. 
This type is for the professionally licensed small business owner only, and that profession can be the only shareholder. The type of professional who can take part in this plan varies by state, but usually it includes lawyers, doctors, dentists, accountants, and psychologists. It is important to understand that this sort of corporation cannot normally shield you from a malpractice award. Limited Liability Companies Limited Liability Companies, or LLCs, are a hybrid combining the best of corporations, sole proprietorships and partnerships, and have become very popular for good reason among new entrepreneurs. First and best, like S&C corporations, LLCs protect their owners, called members, from personal liability for business indebtedness. Second, like partnerships and sole proprietorships, LLCs are fairly informal. A nice thing about sole proprietorship and partnerships is that they are less structured than corporations, especially with regard to taxes. The tax code is full of detailed rules applicable to corporations. These complicated rules and tax rates create a lot of bookkeeping and legal issues for corporations. Sole proprietorships and partnerships, on the other hand, simply have business profits and losses flow through to the individual taxes of the owners. Because it's much simpler, the second main advantage of the LLC is that its members can choose to be taxed as sole proprietorships and partnerships are, or they can choose a corporate tax structure if that is more advantageous. By combining the best of corporations, the so-called corporate shield, and the best of sole proprietorships and partnerships, the so-called flow-through taxation, the LLC has become the business form of choice for many a small business. LLCs are easy to create, inexpensive. The filing fee with your state will be far less than if you started a corporation and can be formed with only one member, unlike a corporation which requires officers and boards of directors. Members can use capital and property to buy into the LLC and will get a percentage share of the business to reflect their contributions. When profits are distributed, the member will usually get an amount commensurate with his or her ownership share. Again, because LLCs are so flexible, you can even decide to distribute profits unequally if you so choose. There are two types of LLCs. The first is called member-managed, and this type, all the owners, there is no limit on the number, but it is usually a half a dozen or less, actively run the business. The second is called manager-managed. Here the owners have managers running the business. Typically, only members get a right to vote on company issues. LLC laws are state-specific, and each state has a different requirement. Generally speaking, though, to create an LLC, file a document called either Articles of Organizations or Certificate of Formation with the proper state office and pay the fee. How much? Roughly $75 or so in most states. After you file the proper documents, draft your operating agreement. In it, detail how much each member has contributed, what their percentage of ownership is, how you will run the business, and how you will handle distributions, and so on. Nolo Press puts out some great do-it-yourself LLC books. In particular, I recommend The Legal Guide to Starting and Running a Small Business by Fred Steingold and Your Limited Liability Company Operating Manual by Anthony Mancuso. Once formed, an LLC can protect you from business liabilities, create an easy structure for running the business, and make tax time easier. All in all, it's usually a good idea for most small businesses. Chapter 8. The Money Hunt If you would know the value of money, go and try to borrow some. That's a quote from Benjamin Franklin. The previous few chapters are intended to help you put the foundation of your business in place. Coming up with your best idea, figuring out what it will cost to create a business out of that idea, drafting a business plan, and choosing the right legal structure are the basic building blocks of any successful small business. Now you can build upon that solid foundation starting with this chapter. Getting the money to realize your dream can happen only if you have that solid foundation in place. Any lender or investor will want to see that those pieces are set. And even if you're not going to self-fund the business, either through savings, credit cards, or some other plan, this foundation is no less important as it is the basis for creating a small business that lasts. 
Therefore, if you did the work suggested in the previous few chapters, you know exactly how much money you need to get started and stay open, which puts you far ahead of most new small business entrepreneurs who have only some vague idea about how much money they will need. So, the $64,000 question, maybe literally, is where will you find the money to start your business? There are many, many sources listed later, which is good because it is highly unlikely that you will secure all of your required funding from one place. Maybe you will combine personal savings and credit cards with an SBA loan and a gift from an uncle. Who knows? While finding the money to find the dream is always a challenge for the entrepreneur, it is part of the job. Yes, it will likely be tough. You may get discouraged. You may not raise as much as you want. But remember, countless new business owners have found the money to start their businesses, and if they did, you can too. Stick with it. If you have a good idea and a solid plan, you can do it. The Usual Suspects The vast majority of small businesses are started using funds, at least partly, from the entrepreneur himself. Indeed, if you're looking to outside investors, most will want to see that you are sharing some of the financial risk. Yes, tapping your savings for a new, untried venture is a scary thought. But remember, an entrepreneur is a person willing to take a risk with money to make money. So, risking some money, then, is part of the job description. Where do you find that money? If you have savings, you'll need to use at least some. If you may be getting an inheritance down the road, see if you can get an advance on it. Many new small business owners use their IRAs and 401k funds Damn the penalties. Full steam ahead. If you have a stock portfolio, consider selling it. You'll have to be creative and a bit bold. But that is what will likely be needed if you are going to make your dream come true. The moment one definitely commits oneself, the providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would have never otherwise have occurred. I have learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. This is a quote from W. H. Murray from his book The Scottish Himalayan Expedition, published by J. M. Dent and Sons Limited in nineteen fifty one. Another option that I like far less is using home equity. Yes, people do it all the time, but no, it is not wise, and it should be avoided if it can be. Why? A home equity plan or something similar is a loan secured by your house, as you well know. If your bet doesn't pay off, if the business does not fly, if you have to put your home at risk, if the business does not pan out and funds get tight, how are you going to pay back that home equity loan? And what will happen if you can't? Recall what we said earlier. Smart entrepreneurs do their best to reduce the risk as much as possible. Risking your home may be too much to ask. Credit cards. Another very popular option for funding a startup company is the credit card. According to one study, almost half of all businesses use credit cards to help with the startup. Again, it's easy to see why. Credit cards are readily available and can be paid back in installments. But the problem is, it is very easy to get in over your head with credit card debt. So before you go running up the cards, charging that new computer and office furniture, some words of warning might be in order. The credit card trap. Excessive credit card debt is one of the most common debt issues that small business people face, and it can be a major factor leading to small business failure. Many of us have learned the hard way about credit card trap. You know what it is too, right? Charging or taking cash advantages, getting stuck with a huge bill, paying the minimum, watching the interest grow every month, and thus ensuring that the balance is never paid off. It is a trap because you are caught in a predicament that is difficult to get out of, and it ensures that your small business will likely remain a bit out of kilter. For example, let's say that you charge $7,000 to help your new business get off the ground. Reasonable, no? Let's further assume that you have an interest rate of 17%. This is a credit card after all. How long do you think it will take you to pay off that balance paying a minimum payment of 2%? Three years? Let's do a little math. A monthly interest payment of 17% on $7,000 is $104. Adding that to your balance means that you will have a new balance in month two of $7,104.
2% of that is $142. That is your minimum payment. So if you just paid the minimum, it would take, get ready for this, more than 40 years to pay off the entire card. Don't worry, it gets worse. You'd also end up paying almost $14,000 on your $7,000 balance. Credit card smarts. So, getting stuck with excessive credit card debt is one of the worst things that can happen to your new small business. If you need to use credit cards to help fund your startup, you absolutely have to get those balances down as quickly as possible. Here's how. Pay more than the minimum. The first way to reduce credit card debt is to pay more than the minimum payment due, as much more as you can afford. In the preceding $7,000 example, the 2% minimum payment amount goes down every month as the principal decreases. However, if you keep paying the original payment of $142 instead of the new lower minimum, you will decrease the time it takes to reduce your credit card debt from 40 years to just about 5 years. Do the balance transfer dance. One of the easiest and best methods of lowering both your monthly credit card payments as well as your company's overall credit card indebtedness is to transfer the balance on your cards with a high interest rate to a card or cards with a much lower rate, something like a 4.9%, looking for introductory teaser rates. Credit cards, while useful and convenient, can kill even the best small businesses. Use them if you must to fund your startup, but do so with a plan to pay them off as soon as possible. Using a credit card with a zero balance and timing your purchase correctly can mean that you will never have to pay interest again. Here's how. Let's say that you need a cash advance. You're billed on the first of the month, and your payment is due on the 25th. That means that you have 25 days to repay the debt without getting charged interest, the grace period. Now, if you take that advance on the second of the month, you won't even receive a bill until the first of the following month. You then won't be charged interest until the 25th of that month. Thus, just by timing your card use, you can avoid all interest payments and still have almost two months to pay them off. The Friends and Family Plan The next most common method of funding your startup is to find friends and family members who believe in you and your vision and would be willing to invest in your new company. Again, this is where your business plan will be necessary. If you can show potential investors a plan that makes sense, the chance of getting them to invest greatly increases. A great thing about this option is that friends and family tend to lend or invest either interest-free or at a very low interest rate, which makes your job much easier, especially at the beginning of your venture. Capital is precious and must be, if not hoarded, at least highly respected. Keep your overhead as low as possible. Low interest on debts helps with that, and that is why this can be an attractive option. When Scott Hanley and Chris Abbott came up with the idea for a new board game, they were two unemployed journalists with little more than a novel idea. They drafted a business plan and then started talking to everyone they knew about investing in the fledging company. Finally, they pestered 32 friends, relatives, and former colleagues into investing in the business, raising about $60,000 in the process for their new game. Trivial Pursuit The danger, of course, is that most small businesses are not business home runs like Trivial Pursuit. Far more likely is that you will create a successful business that makes a nice profit and that affords you some freedom and a good standard of living. But if that does not happen, if the business does not fly, owing money to friends and relatives for a failed business venture is not a pleasant experience. You have been warned. Banks and credit unions. Of all investments, a bank or credit union can make loaning money to an untried brand new startup is about the most risky. Home loans are secured by collateral, as are car loans. Loans to existing businesses offer some security, as the business has a track record or assets. But the new startup has none of those things. So getting a conventional bank loan for a new business is not always easy. Sure, it can be done but it usually means either putting your home up as collateral or signing a personal guarantee for the loan. The problem with a personal guarantee is that incorporating to reduce your personal liability will be a waste of time. If you sign a personal guarantee for a bank loan, then, again, entrepreneurs have been known to do almost anything to get the show on the road. 
and that may be the price you have to pay. Is there a better solution? Indeed. The United States Small Business Administration, SBA, is one of the best friends your new business can have. The SBA has plenty of ways to help your business, many others of which are recounted later in this book, and can help you get that loan. Here's how. The U.S. government knows how important small business is to the American economy. As such, it created and funds the SBA, whose mission is to help the country's small businesses succeed. One main way the SBA accomplishes that goal is by guaranteeing certain loans made by lenders to small businesses. By acting as a guarantor, the SBA reduces the risk to the lender, and so many more small business loans are made. So find a bank or credit union that deals with SBA-guaranteed loans. The Reconstruction Finance Corporation, RFC, was a 